Good morning. Our reading this morning is from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we and we testify of what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but man loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now John also was baptizing at Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. 
an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ruth. I'm Jessica Tennant, one of the occasional preachers. And it's my task today to preach on the chapter that has the most famous words in the whole of the Bible. So it's a daunting task. Plus the fact that I'm preaching the week after John Hargreaves did his amazing talk on um, John 2 last week. And if you haven't heard it, I advise you to get online and listen because it was excellent. But I'll do my best. So the older I get, the more the world doesn't seem to be the way I want it. Maybe I'm just turning into a grumpy old woman, but it does seem that things are really turning pear-shaped. Where to start? Post office scandal. The water companies pouring sewage into our rivers so that they can make profits for their shareholders. The gas and oil industry fighting net zero because saving the world affects profits. And that's without moving on to Putin and Ukraine, what's happening in Israel and Gaza, the rise of Trump and populism through the world. Not good. What seems to be is that there's something very wrong in the human heart, that we constantly make the wrong decisions. But what's more, as I get older, God isn't maybe what I want him to be either. Because I call out to him about these situations. I cry out, Lord, send relief, and nothing happens. So how can John 3 help me and maybe us as well? Because you might have thought these things as well at some point. 
How does it help us with that dilemma? Now, John 3, very conveniently, has three characters in it. And we're going to go through them. Let's start with John the Baptist. Right. So John the Baptist is a kind of in-between figure. If you look at him, he sort of sits at the end of the Old Testament prophets. Like them, he told people to turn from their sins and turn to God. Like them, he spoke truth to power. Like them, he was a bit weird. So let's look at the background he came from. So Israel were God's chosen people. They were chosen to be a beacon to the world to show what God's like and what God wants from people. They were called to basically two tasks, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul and with all their strength, and to love their neighbour as themselves. And to help them do that, they were given a load of laws that helped them see what they were supposed to do about family life, about community life, about living with fairness, justice, honesty, integrity, faithfulness, about caring for the poor and the oppressed and the widow and the orphan and the alien, and also about the redistribution of wealth regularly so that there wouldn't be exploitation. But of course, Israel constantly failed because there's something deeply wrong in the human heart that makes us make the wrong choices. So the prophets also spoke about a time where God would intervene in history. He would send his promised king and we would be changed from the inside out. We would be given new hearts. We would be filled with God's Holy Spirit. And John the Baptist recognized that this was the time He saw Jesus was going to be God's chosen king. This was the time. He could baptize with the Spirit, but Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire and change people's hearts. And so he was perfectly happy to be the best man. He didn't need to be the bridegroom. He knew Jesus was the one who got the glory. And if you want to know more about Jesus' role as bridegroom and the the church's role as bride. Go back to last week's sermon, it's mentioned there. So that was John. We then move on to Nicodemus. Now, if, if John was the outsider speaking truth to power, Nicodemus represented that power. He was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were a group of 7,000 Jewish men who figured that they could please God by carrying out every command of the law completely. And where the law might be a bit ambiguous, they had hundreds of pages of clarifications. But the problem is that they were so busy working out what load you could carry on the Sabbath that they completely forgot that the aim of the law was to teach them how to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their soul and with all their strength and to love their neighbours themselves. So they ended up being away from God and leading other people astray. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now, some of the commentators have given a positive spin to this. Maybe it was so he could spend more time with Jesus. Maybe it was because the Pharisees prepared, prepared to, um, to teach at night, to learn at night. 
But I don't think that because John doesn't put things in by accident. And there's a lot later about people choose the darkness and people choosing the night. So I think it's very significant that Nicodemus came at night because he represented the Pharisees. He was also on the ruling council of the Jews, the 70 who ruled. And so he came at night, he sneaked in, he didn't want to be seen, and he represented the darkness, even though the people in that darkness thought they were the light. And he came to Jesus, and I bet he came from a position where he thought he was the one in charge. He, he was the... He was the Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. But Jesus quickly put him right. What he said basically was, everything you believe about your faith and everything you believe about God is wrong. Have you read the Old Testament? It says that you cannot please God just by following all the rules, that human beings have something deeply wrong inside of them that they need a new heart, they need a new filling with the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus seemed to take this to heart because we see in John chapter 7, he tells the Pharisees, give Jesus a chance, listen to him, although he's only mocked for it. And then in John 19, he really stands up and, and announces himself as a follower of Jesus by helping Joseph of Arimathea with the burial of Jesus. Um, and he provided uh, an immense amount of very expensive ointment to anoint the body. And we kind of hope that he went on. It just doesn't say, but we hope he was there at Pentecost, receiving the Holy Spirit, being born again, and that he lived the rest of his life being transformed. Now I find Nicodemus a bit more problematic than some people in the Bible. Because in my grumpy old woman stage, I really take against powerful men who exploit. And Nicodemus was part of them. So I find it easy to see that Jesus has come for the poor, for the oppressed, for me. But that Jesus, God so loved the world. And Jesus has also come to offer Trump and Putin and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all the rest of them. He's come to offer them life as well. And Nicodemus proves it. He was the one. He moved from this position of power and elitism to follow Jesus. And presumably, by the time he stood up, he would be rejected by his peers. So what about the third person? What about Jesus? Now, the thing about Nicodemus was he claimed his inheritance. He was a descendant of Abraham and therefore one of God's chosen people. John had been prophesied by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before his birth. And he was born by a miracle to two parents who couldn't have children. But both of them, their life started at their conception. But Jesus had been alive forever. He was part of this great circle of harmonious love of Father, Son and Holy Spirit working, creating the universe, being utterly three people and utterly one person in a way we just couldn't understand. So 
for God to so love the world that he gave his only son, meant breaking this harmonious circle of love. As Jesus left and became a newborn baby, he was not able to respond. And we know that as he grew up, he reconnected with God, and certainly at his baptism when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he understood who he was, and he understood that he was the only person who's ever come from heaven and knows God and knows heaven and knows everything. But then again, at the end of his life, that communion had to be broken again as Jesus died on the cross and as he carried all our sin. So God was not able to look at him. So... God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And the way John explains it, or possibly Jesus, we're not sure who's talking in this bit. He looks at at the story of the bronze snake, which is a kind of weird story. Children of Israel were going through the desert. They were whinging again. God got tired of their whinging and sent a plague of poisonous snakes. And they said, we're sorry, we didn't mean to whinge. And God said to Moses, okay, make a bronze pole with a bronze snake on hold it up and when the children of Israel look at it they will be saved so it was nothing they'd done actually it wasn't anything to do with a magic pole it was purely the act of God saving them and and John says in the same way the way we are saved is by looking up at Jesus who has to be lifted up there is nothing we can do no amount of laws that we can keep that will save us, we need to look at Jesus. And Jesus, of course, was lifted up twice. Once he was lifted up on the cross to die for the world. And the second time, he was lifted up after his resurrection and he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God where he has all power and all authority and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And we are saved by looking at Jesus And that salvation, that being born again, it's an interesting thing because the Bible doesn't make it clear in the Old Testament that it's going to be a two-stage thing. So initially we're born again and we're like newborns and we're having to learn everything again like a newborn and we're slowly transformed into, into the likeness of Jesus. Although that transformation isn't complete until after Jesus comes back and we get our new our new bodies and, and live on the new earth but we're working towards it but it says something about what God's really like because the Pharisees saw God as judgmental, rigid and pernickety I think the God that I'd like would have to be pretty coercive and dominating because the God that I'd like would stop would stop Israel killing Palestinians, would stop Palestinians killing Israelites. But that would mean dominance and control, and God doesn't work that way because God calls us in love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life because God comes to us in love and what he's doing is he's calling us to be part of that harmonious circle of love between Father, Son and Holy Spirit that's what eternal life is as we forever 
join in that relationship, that community of love. And the only way we can do that is freely. We can't be coerced, we can't be controlled, we can't be dominated to give love. It's something we can only do freely. And the price of that is free will and wrong choices and evil. And we know that God does act against evil. You see through history, through my own life, that evil rises and there comes a point far later than we'd like when God said, it's enough is enough. And despots and dictators and evil regimes fall. But mostly, the way God calls us to work is through his church. He calls us to be to be the miracle in this world. He calls us every day to step into transformation, every day to be filled with the Holy Spirit, every day to look for the work that he's called for us since before the beginning of the world. We are the miracle. He doesn't act independently usually. So our response as we come to each day is to choose now I'm looking at this congregation and I'm seeing an amazing group of people who are born again and spirit-filled. And if you're not, maybe you want to look into how to be. But for all of us, each one of us, however born again and spirit-filled we are, every day we need to make that choice to follow God, to go with God, to be transformed, to be spirit-filled, to find the work he has for us today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but the world through him should be saved. And we are called to be part of that. Amen.